Around Comics, Episode 84. Chicago, this is Around Comics, a roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman, and I'm joined, as always, by the co-host of the show, Mr. Brian Salazar. Hello. And Mr. Tom Caters. Hello. This isn't pre-recorded. It's a podcast. They're it's all pre-recorded. We're doing Slightly, it's, more, it's less pre-recorded than you think. <laughs> Magic of I'm, editing. I'm inside your headphones. <laughs> Folks, in uh, just a couple moments, we're going to be joined by one of our favorite writers, Mr. Ed Brubaker, and that'll be right after a couple announcements. He he does wear hats. I wish I could look cool wearing a hat like that. Write Archie and wear hats. That's his retirement plan. Hats and Archie. I wonder if you ever will wear the Jughead hat. (laughs) He may already. I bet you I don't know. We didn't ask. That's an inside-the-house hat. All right, first, before we get to the interview, I want to let everyone know that this episode of Around Comics is sponsored by Borders. Your heart pounds, your palms sweat, the tension is nearly unbearable. And then you spot it, the graphic novel you've been searching for everywhere, right here in your local Borders. Borders has thousands of manga and graphic novels. In fact, you'll find exactly what you're looking for and discover unexpected new authors and series simply by visiting Borders. Save on your favorite graphic novels, manga, and more. Click on the Borders banner on Around Comics for a 20% off coupon. Check Borders first. Find a store near you at www.borderstores.com or use the Borders store locator at aroundcomics.com. That's right. Thank you to the fine folks at Borders. Please remember to go to aroundcomics.com and get that 20% off coupon. Click early, click often. I want to let everyone know that Around Comics is recorded every Friday at 7 o'clock at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. We would love to meet you. While you're here, please remember to ask about Dark Tower's Polis membership. It's one of the best you'll find anywhere. Dark Tower has a great selection of mainstream comics, independent comics, trade paperbacks, as well as statues and action figures. Come to Dark Tower. Sweet Lobster Johnson statues. I know, and the Rocketeer helmet that uh, Steve Bryant wants. Mm, I know. There's all sorts of good stuff here. It's 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 the Hellboy. Oh, it's it's everywhere. Anywho. Tom's testy tonight. He wants the show moving snaps quick. quick. Well, Tom, why don't you tell everyone about the Long Box of Love? It is a comic made by Brian Bowles. It is on every Thursday. It is handcrafted. <laughs> and you can see it at www.aroundcomics.com. <laughs> nice. You know Thank where you. to find it, people. All right. You know where it is. <laughs> you dig it the most. They might never have listened before. I doubt it. Everyone's listened to us. No, no one has. <laughs> We're actually very... Obscure. You're very bipolar. <laughs> I know. <'cause> everyone was... <laughs> what bipolar. are we talking about Everybody today? Nobody. Well, I'll tell you what. When we met Ed Brubaker in 2005, we already knew he was a very good writer. Since <laughs> the way he then, dressed. By, by the hat. <laughs> 
<laughs> definitely a writer's hat. And tweed jacket. But since then, he has the done pipe. nothing but build on his reputation and is now widely regarded as one of comic books' best writers. He smelled like leather. <laughs> his work on Catwoman, Gotham Central, Daredevil, The Uncanny X-Men, The Immortal Iron Fist, Captain America, and more have all been met with fan and critical acclaim. Wildstorm's 2003 release of the series Sleeper teamed Brubaker with artist Sean Phillips. Now the writer-artist tandem is back with a whole new cast of undesirables in the Icon series Criminal. Around Comics is happy to welcome back... Icon killer! Ed Brubaker. Uh, American hater. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. era when images like so much else was laid out in black and white and through the years he has been the defender of America draped in the colors of the U.S. flag seemingly indestructible until now. I am proud to announce the star-spangled Avenger has bequeathed his most valuable possession his indestructible shield to the only man he believed had the red, white, and blue balls to carry the mantle. The community of comic book superheroes split down the middle battling each other over the government's call to register them. Captain America rebelled, calling the measure an infringement of his civil liberties. Is Captain America really standing for what America stands for anymore? Or is he standing for what he believes America is, or what the ideal of what America should be? Born to fight the Nazis in World War II, he was the original symbol of truth, justice, and the American way. This week, when many think America needs him most, Captain America died at the hands of a new enemy. I guess we'll we'll get started. It's been kind of an odd month for you, I would say. What's uh, what has yeah. uh, the the events since uh, since Captain America twenty five? What's it, what's it been like for you? Well, it's been pretty crazy. I haven't gotten a lot of work done as much as I would like to. Um, but you know, it'd be easy to complain about it because I've been like getting tons of interview requests and. I haven't had much time to myself, and I went to the comic convention, and I barely got to stand up. But, you know, that's great. It's, but it's easy to complain about it because it's totally different. But, you know, I, I can't believe the amount of people who are, like, reading my comics now, like, all my trade paperbacks, like, 
shot way up on Amazon, and you know, it's just like it's kind of insane. Were you uh, were you guys expecting uh, this sort of response, especially from you know the major media outlets that that really uh, glommed onto the story and 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 the huge response it got uh, outside of you know co- the comics world? Not not until like the day before, maybe, and and still not. You know, like we we talked about it. We knew there was going to be the the story in the Daily News like a couple weeks before it came out. But like when I wrote the comic, I thought, hmm, this will probably sell pretty well. Like we'll probably sell like maybe a hundred and fifty thousand, like compared to the usual like fifty five that we've been doing. And you know, and then I turned it in, and and they were going through all the delays because of civil war, because Mark and Steve were behind. And so they were kept having to push stuff back on the line because, you know, all the stuff was planned for coming up after Civil War, all the stuff that you're seeing now. And so they had to re, you know, rejigger a lot of stuff on the whole schedule. And so CAP 25 sort of got lost in the shuffle of that for a while. And then they had their meeting in December. And I kept wondering, like, hmm, this issue's been in-house and it's drawn now. And I kept wondering when somebody was, besides me or my editor, was going to notice that they could probably make a big deal out of something like this. And um, it took Jeff Loeb, I think, when they were going down the list of what was going to happen in all the books at the last summit meeting, and I wasn't there because it was the week before Christmas. And Loeb heard that, and he said, wait a second. And then what happens? Like, and then the entire Marvel Universe changes, and, you know, are you guys doing anything around this? And then suddenly everyone was like, you know, that's probably kind of a big deal. <laughs> I think everyone was so looking for the light at the end of the tunnel on Civil War up until that moment that, you know, because I, I think just crossovers and events are just logistical nightmares. And, you know, even the best one, everyone can't wait till it's over that's, that, like, has to work on it in production or editorial because it's, you know, with all the tie-ins and everything. So, um, so yeah, from that point on, it started to seem like, okay, they're going to make kind of a big deal out of it. But even then, I still thought, you know, well, I didn't write it to be like an event or a stunt. I mean, any any more than, you know, killing a main character ever is. It's, you know, for me, it's a story. But I kept feeling like, okay, maybe this is going to be kind of big. And we thought we'd get eight or ten stories around the country, and, you know, we have some more people coming in. But we had no clue that, you know, I mean, according to Diamond, it's their fastest reordered comic ever in the history of them like keeping computerized records of it you know so like every hour from like wednesday through friday they took they took a record of how many reorders they were getting per hour and it was you know just immense the the overprint was sold out by like the early in the day on thursday so it's it's kind of crazy well i had a i had a media um collision of my world because i was listening to uh uh, a radio show I listened to in the afternoon on the internet, uh, Don and Mike, and they started oh, talking yeah, I was on that. <laughs> and I had a really weird moment where I was like, oh, they're going to call Ed Brubaker, and I'm like, I've talked to Ed Brubaker, and then they were on. And then they yeah, that was really weird. I, I got home from doing an interview at NPR, and there was a phone message from Patton Oswalt telling me to uh, call these guys and get on their show because they really wanted to talk to me today, and I'm like, who the hell are the Don and Mike show? But... The next morning I woke up and there was someone else from that same radio station had found my phone number there and their morning DJs had called me at like 6 a.m. And they left this really long voicemail on my on my uh, machine. They were like, Ed, please tell us it's not true. Wake up. Call us back. And my wife's name is on the message and they're like, 
Hi, Melanie. Nice to wake you up. Sorry. <laughs> nice. It was totally weird. I was like, oh, my God, my phone number's out there now. <laughs> scary <laughs> well you yeah. you were talking a little bit about civil war and you have you know you with writing uh daredevil and captain america those are both characters that have been involved with civil war and well daredevil wasn't really um well it, well with iron fist and and all of that the costume you know, one. yeah yeah the daredevil's costume um, you did a, a very interesting job of tiptoeing through the events of Civil War. What was it like trying to plan your stories out while this huge universe-spanning event was going on? Um, well, it was more difficult with Cap. I mean, conveniently, by the time they were scheduling Civil War, I had already written, you know, up to Cap, you know, 21 or something like that. So... You know, I always knew that I would only have to do three crossover issues of Cap that were supposed to coincide with, like, the last three months of Civil War. But, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I got lucky The X-Men. I took off into space. Daredevil, you know, was already planned that he was going to go to jail and then escape from jail and go to Europe. So, like, all that was planned even before Civil War, like, was an idea I'd heard of. So I got kind of lucky on all of that. I mean, they got kind of unlucky in that they had to have Daredevil running around in Civil War be like Iron Fist, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a little more confusing when he when he dresses up as his secret identity who looks exactly like Matt Murdock. <laughs> I, like I thought idea. that was a really funny joke that Danny Rand, a blonde guy, would dress up as a red-haired guy with glasses. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I you know I've worked in the bad office during the era of like a crossover every year. So I, I know how to navigate around those things, and I know what I like and don't like about them. And I, I always feel like the, the event itself is where the real story is going to take place. So you got to use the event as like a backdrop for what you actually want to do in the in the in your comic. And just you know, I think that's the problem that people have with these tie-ins is that they don't take advantage of the fact that the tie-ins just bringing a ton of people to look at your book. And you have to actually use that by sh- to show them what your book actually feels like. So I always try to make sure if I'm doing tie-ins that they're more about my book than they are about the thing that they're tying into. And you know, but I've been at this for like a decade now. It, it took me a while to, to get a to get a handle on that. Well, talking a, a bit more about uh, issue 25 of Cap. You know, the one one of the things that that really struck me on it, um, as far as the timing on it and everything was how you guys just snuck up on everyone. And you had mentioned, yeah. you know, how it was after Civil War. and, and uh, But, I mean, that issue came out and nobody knew about it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you were able to keep that under wraps so well? Well, apparently nobody at Marvel knew. <laughs> Until December. So. So it, was, it was not that hard. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, for, for our part, we, you know, me and Tom and, Steve knew, and everybody working on Cap knew, but we just didn't tell anybody. Um, like, five or six people at Marvel knew, and then no one else really totally knew what we had officially decided after the last summit meetings. But, I mean, it was it was sort of known within Marvel, and people just didn't say anything about it. I mean, a lot, a lot of people at Marvel knew, but certainly everyone who was sitting at the, at the summit in the summer when we basically went over what was going to happen in Captain America. But the plans kind of morphed around a little bit from just, 
you know, the way that it was going to be to making it a much bigger deal as, it, as we actually got around to finally doing it. So it may have seemed like, you know, something that wasn't going to be that big a deal when you're all sitting in a room talking about it. But, but somehow it didn't leak. I don't know. Because <laughs> a lot of people heard about it. And, uh, and you know, I, I think it was just one of those things where people thought, ah, what's the big deal? And so they just didn't tell anybody. And it wasn't until we actually did it. And, you know, every employee who worked at Marvel had their grandfather, like, emailing them or calling them. <laughs> like, you killed Captain America? What did you do? Uh, I was wondering if there's any regret on your part about not arranging some way for a criminal to be bundled with Captain America on the same day when it came out. <laughs> well, we did do a, a, the incentive for Criminal 6, which, you know, I think the FOC is in like a week or two, is uh, if you order, if you bump up your orders on Criminal 6, you get an extra discount on the first two Captain America trades. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, liked it. I, I laughed out loud at my desk while I was listening to Don and Mike because you slipped in the criminal plug. Hey! <laughs> I tried to slip. Anytime I was on live, I, I managed to mention it. I even got a friend of mine who works at the at the Seattle Times to add a little bio on me and the and the AP article that they were reprinting. So, yeah, I, I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> nice, and we will definitely get to criminal here in a few minutes. Uh, we have to talk just a little bit more about Cap. You know, talking about you know just the media blitz and how things didn't leak out and how maybe people around the Marvel offices didn't realize how big a story this is. Do you think that, you know, in the comics industry that people will get a little, you know, tunnel vision and maybe not understand the iconic importance of some characters and maybe that's why it caught people off guard? I don't I don't know if it's that. I, I think it literally was that when it was first put on the table, and I honestly can't remember, you know, I just remember we were talking at the Civil War Summit in January. We, everybody was going over the end of Civil War over and over again and how the fight would, would fall out and what would happen. And then everybody was talking about what could be done with their books next. And I remember at some point someone, either me or someone else, suggesting that, you know, the, the, the smartest thing I could do would be to kill Cap, actually, after Civil War because you know, then I can actually examine something that I wanted to actually look at. And and I remember thinking, you know, the options that, that are in the original Civil War outline that I got was, you know, Cap either goes to jail or he gets on a motorcycle. He, he quits being Cap and gets on a motorcycle and goes and finds America. And I, I remember reading those and I thought, well, that's, that doesn't work for me. I mean, I just did Daredevil in prison, so I can't do that. And I, and I need to you know, I need to do something different. And, and I thought, Cap doesn't need to find America. America needs to find him. Think about that. I was like, well, if I killed him, then everybody would have to find him, kind of. Sure. Like, everybody would have to figure out what what he meant to them, actually. Well, talking a little bit uh, about the, the fan reaction, and, and from, from everything that we've heard from our listeners and people on our forum and, and different people we've talked to, I mean, most people initially, and myself included, we're kind of shocked by it and, and not sure what to expect. But then, more often than not, what I've heard from people is, well, it's Ed Brubaker, so I trust him, and I'm just going to see where the story goes. I'm hoping that's what you've heard more often than not. I've been getting not. a lot more of that than I expected. I mean, I definitely, 
from people who haven't actually been buying the comic or reading the comic ever, maybe, I've gotten a lot of, how dare you kill an American icon to support your liberal agenda? (laughs) (laughs) What what liberal agenda? You know, the Red Skull killed Captain America, not me. I just wrote a comic, and, you know, it's like, and the Red Skull is hardly a liberal. (laughs) He's all into gay marriage. I think the the only thing that, that really seems to really shock people is that Captain America got assassinated. Because it's such a way for, like, important people in America to get killed. You know, Mm -hmm. if you look at, like, Lincoln, JFK, Martin Luther King, you know, even Malcolm X, it's like, you know, important, iconic figures get assassinated. They don't die in a fight with a giant monster, you know? Yeah, certainly, and that, I mean, that speaks to what you were talking about, you know, America finding him as opposed to the other way around once again. Yeah, exactly. It's it's now there's this vacuum, there's this empty space in the middle of the Marvel Universe, and, and that's a great place to actually explore because it never has really been. And I didn't honestly read any of the Death of Superman stuff. When I, when I found out that Lex Luthor didn't kill him, I was just like, what? <laughs> Why didn't kill him then? It was well, a monster. It's like the Red, when, when we first started talking about this whole Death of Cap thing, I remember at one point, I think JMS or somebody said that, you know, he should die at the end of Civil War instead, and it should be, you know, like, as as they're leading him away from the fight, like, Miriam Sharp could step out of the crowd and, like, blast him one, and I was like, oh, that's the Lee Harvey Oswald way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That's the way the assassin dies, and, and I remember just thinking, like, I don't even think I said it at the time, but I was just like, no, no, you can't have some just random woman kill Cap. It's got to be his arch enemy. If a main if a main villain if a main character dies, he can't be just killed by some random person. Or you know, the reason nobody remembers the death of Superman story isn't because Superman came back; it's because of how Superman came back, and it's because of the fact that he got killed by some guy that you can't even remember the name of and who who you'd never heard of before. Yeah. You know, at least they made Bane kind of cool before he, before they let him break Batman's <laughs> back. But how cooler would it have been if the Joker did it? And more final. It's it certainly would have felt more final. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if some guy you've never heard of breaks Batman's back, you're pretty sure Batman's going to come back and kick the hell out of that guy. Well, well, going into that again, I mean, some of the other comments, or most of the other comments, and a lot of people think that, you know, Cap is going to come back. Uh, Steve Rogers will be Captain America. He's, you know, th- there's some way that you'll write, you know, it, or, or someone will write Steve Rogers back as Captain America. Um, is that... Is that disappointing at all for you? Because I know, and you've talked to this before about... No, but, you know, I don't honestly believe Dumbledore's dead. I mean, J.K. Rowling swears up and down that he is and that people like me are just crazy, but I, I still think, you know, we're going to find out that Dumbledore really didn't die in the last Harry Potter book. You just so. almost made me snort beer out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, do you... Do you, do you Know, like, there's going to be another Captain America, you know, running around the book anytime soon. 
Well, it's, you know, we, we've talked about this um, before, um, Sal and I, uh, quite a bit, that you we don't talk to me. Yeah, we don't talk to Tom. <laughs> um, but but you, have, you have done this a couple times now and, and shown a real <laughs> sleight of hand in, in sh- you know, maybe killing Thanks, people. Yeah. Oh, sorry, what was that? You're talking about the red stall and foggy? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. Spoilers, guys. The only guy that stayed dead. Really dead. <laughs> you know, I'm still waiting for, you know, Banshee's triumphant return. Oh, yeah. After doing that many fake deaths, do you think I could get away with another one? Yeah, probably. I think you may have one left in I don't think I could get away with another one. You'll see in the next issue. It's pretty fucking grisly. Actually, it's uh, you get to see his dead body pretty up close, pretty uh, final. But you know, who can say what the future will bring for Captain America? <laughs> <laughs> well, There's a lot of supporting characters. It, the interesting thing now is the book becomes about the idea of Captain America and what Captain America means once he's gone. And uh, it really, it's great because we spent all this time developing the Winter Soldier character and now we get to sort of push him back over the edge again. So it's like he's just started to become slightly a good guy and, you know, the minute that he gets, he goes in that direction, his, his only friend gets killed. I am Matt Fraction and this is uh, Around Comics and it's a podcast that you listen to on your pod and it's casted to your pod and you can listen to it and it's sweet. And I, I love it and I love you. I know you you had said this before in an interview when you were talking about uh, the, the death of Cap and, and you know for people that can't enjoy the story and are so consumed by the event that, you know, that Captain America was shot and killed... You know, you can't write for those people. I mean, I, I, I have a, a website with a public email on it, and, you know, I get email from people every day, and, you know, that week I got more than usual. Most of it was the, you know, I'm really mad this happened, but I'm going to stick, but I like the way you told the story, and I liked, you know, I, I liked the story, so I'm going to stick around and see where it goes. I got most of those, which was kind of surprising. Like, you know, some people who didn't even mind and were just like, that was great, I can't wait to see what happens next. But I got, like, five or ten of, you know, you know, you're an asshole, you should, you know, I didn't get any death threats. Oh, no. Oh. Like the, you should be fired. Yeah, I guess you have to go Hawkeye to get death threats. But, um, I got like two or three people saying, I've been reading comics and Captain America for 30 years, and I'm giving up comics because of this, you know, this is, this is bullshit, man. And I wrote back to all of those people who said that they've been reading Captain America for 30 years, and I said, well, look, if you've been reading Captain America for 30 years, then you must know that he's died four or five times within the series in the last 30 years. So if you didn't quit reading comics then, I don't understand why you'd quit now, you know, unless it's just the media blitz that's getting on your nerves. And they all wrote back and said, yeah, you know, you're right. I think I'm just bugged by all the media on it, and it got spoiled for me ahead of time. I'll keep reading the book. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, don't overreact. It's a comic book. <laughs> so know, pick up criminal. When I was in Wizard World, I did have, like, one kind of, well, one or two kind of sketchy things happen, but the one really sketchy one was I went into the bathroom after the Civil War panel, and as I was walking into the bathroom, there was, like, these four, like, sort of older, big teenagers who were leaving, and one of them kind of looked back at me as I was going to the urinals, and when I came out of the bathroom, they were all standing there waiting, and I thought maybe they were going to ask me to sign their copies of, like, the variant edition of the Captain America that they were giving away at Wizard, but they weren't, and they looked kind of sketchy, so I just turned and kept walking, and one of them said, as I was as I was walking past them, should we just jump him and beat the shit out of this motherfucker? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was a little weird. Wow. I, I wasn't like, 
like, okay, whatever, you know. But after that, whenever I walked anywhere, I carried a cup of hot coffee with me. <laughs> I bet it was probably Joe Simon's grandsons. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I don't think so. Joe Simon's grandsons probably gonna gonna uh, you know make more royalties on this cap comic than I will. Um, yeah, Joe Simon, who apparently called Marvel and was totally giddy with excitement that this was the most like news coverage he's had since the '40s about Captain America. You know, like he was thrilled that we did this thing and got all this press coverage and. The, uh, they've got him acting like, you know, the, the quote that you saw out there was like, I'm depressed, we need him more now than ever, but he called Marvel and was like, you know, thrilled. So I think the newsman cut out the part where he actually was like excited to see what happened next. So <laughs> It made him sound like he was like crying, like, oh God. Yeah, I think he was playing it up. I mean, we're talking a guy who's been involved in the media since the like late 30s probably, so he was, he was enjoying his time in the spotlight, but... <laughs> It was pretty funny, though. People were like, oh, you know, Joe Simon's upset. I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's thrilled. Well, we should talk a little bit about the issue itself, I guess. I mean, it was a, a fantastic issue. It, you know, if it is the last issue of Steve Rogers, it's, it certainly was a, a fitting tribute to him. And and I, I thought you did a great job of having you know uh, the Falcon and, and Sharon and uh, and Bucky each kind of you know relay their own experiences with Cap and and set that up. Um, did you do that knowing ahead of time a little bit that you might have more people reading it than... Oh, yeah. Well, I knew because it's an anniversary issue and that it was going to be somewhat of a big deal. I figured I'd have, you know, at least twice as many people reading it, so I wanted to... But with an anniversary issue, you always want to kind of, you know, reset the tone of, like, who these who the character is and why they're important. Another thing I liked about the issue is that you know, traditionally in comics, we always see if there's a big death, it's always the last page. And I thought it oh, was yeah. it was very nice that it happened in the middle of the book because you, you've already talked about it a little bit. The real story is not the death of Captain America; it's what happens with the void that he leaves behind. And I thought that yeah. issue showcased. I mean, he's only that. got like three lines of dialogue in the issue, even. One of the thing, well, and 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 speaking about the 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 narration, because this is something that you had brought up in a, I think a Newsarama interview that. Uh, the the first narrator of the book is never revealed yeah. who that is, and and you kind of put a challenge out there if people could guess that who yeah. that was. I, I have Any a guesses. I have a guess uh, that it's okay. Nick, Nick Fury. No, dang Santa Claus. No, but you're closer than Nick Fury. <laughs> it's God. <laughs> is it God? No. Well, I guess in a way it is. <laughs> is it Namor? That's, it's me. <laughs> Santa Claus I didn't realize it until after I'd actually written the Sharon one. I'm like, well, who's writing this one? And I'm like, well, I guess that's just me. <laughs> so I'm technically breaking the rules of, of the uh, narrative process by Damn. having it. Now you're just wearing a big first. Watcher's robe. I had a. <laughs> What'd you say? Wearing a robe like the Watcher, just hovering over. <laughs> It could be the watcher, yeah, basically. I had a good th- I had a good theory for it too. I thought I had You really thought this out, Ed. Dial or the cap narrative boxes were, were all colored different colors except for yours and Sharon's were the same color, so I figured it had to be another shield agent. It might actually be it might have actually been intended to be Sharon originally. Uh, but I real I realized afterwards I wasn't sure. Is it colored the same color as Yeah, the, the hers and, and the first ones are both yellow and white where Let me open up the script and find out actually. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure it was I've got to print out 500 of these to sell them on eBay tonight anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They're going so 
Well, that was, that was another. While you're while you're looking for the script, did it? Did you check any of the eBay prices? They were going like for the two different version uh, covers. There was like, one that was like a set of three that mm-hmm. went for, or a set of two or something. Was it a set of two or a set of three that went for a thousand dollars? Holy moly! Uh, I I shot a kid for two copies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I used to know a guy who would kill people for a twelve pack of beer. <laughs> <laughs> His name was both Bob Taylor. Copies, both copies. Um, yeah, the first narration is unnamed, so I think it may have started out to be Sharon's and, and maybe the letter or... No, I think the letter probably just assumed it was. Okay. But yeah, no, it's me. Damn, I thought I had, I thought <laughs> I had it. That's what you get for thinking too hard I guess about so, yeah. Stuff. I shouldn't have thought so hard about it. <laughs> well, yeah, you should have thought more like Grant Morrison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, if it was Graham Morrison, it would have been the paper narrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was Cap Shield. It was a Shield narrating, wasn't it? Yeah, the Shield. It was the Cap Shield. You're right. It was Cap Shield. It was the vibranium talking to the adamantium. I knew it, <laughs> nerd. I am a nerd. Oh, well. twenty years in the future. All right. Well, have, have we? <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, uh, what else was it? Oh, a friend of mine called me like. Uh, like a couple days after the Captain America thing came out, and he said, "So, did you get a huge stack of those to sell on eBay?" And it wasn't even really until then that I that I realized how much they were going for on eBay. And he's like, "Man, I hope you got like a hundred of those to sign and sell. You could make like ten grand today." <laughs> and that made me feel kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah. I, but I hate. To, I, I'm glad I'm not like you know completely cashing in on that stuff. Just uh, you know. I hate the collectibles market. Well, well, the, I, I hope that there's a certain amount of people who are actually buying the thing to read it. When, when everybody kept coming up to me with like five copies of it over the weekend, I was just like, "Man, we're still only reaching like you know maybe twice as many readers mm-hmm. as well, we were on the previous one. We can sell half a million of this thing, and still only a hundred thousand people are even going to open it." Right. Well, that was you know one of the things it brings up is sort of the whole I don't know hubbub about about. Well, not the spec, but just how it sold out in that first week, and then you know Marvel did have the overprint ready and everything uh, for it. But there was a lot of people that were sort of complaining about that 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 retailers weren't informed ahead of time about the uh, the event that was going to happen, and 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 then you know there's well, it wouldn't it wouldn't have made that much of a difference, honestly, because. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've heard a lot of retailers say that, and, and you know, maybe it'd be great. It would also be great if 3,000 people could keep a secret. Right. Uh, you know, one, you know, um, a reporter at a magazine or a newspaper can keep a secret because they don't want to blow their own thing. But, you know, when, when Marvel sent out the notice through Diamond to retailers that there was going to be a second print and asked them not to reveal it until Marvel announced it, like, the, the notice was emailed to Newsarama by, like, a number of people within moments of it arriving. So, sure. you know, clearly retailers can't be trusted to be told. It's it's too bad, and it's too bad there are things like previews and things like that. And, you know, I, I've, I've noticed some retailers talking about trying to form a committee of, like, three people who would be sworn to secrecy. <laughs> to, to three other retailers who, who like, other retailers would vote would vote them into this position where, where they'd be, like, the contacts that... DC or Marvel could tell, and then they could say, "Hey, order huge on 
mean, David Gabriel and all the diamond reps told everybody that they hadn't ordered enough and that it was going to be a really big deal. The word debt is in the solicitation. Like, it should have been fairly obvious, but, you know, it didn't say the death of Captain America. It said the death of the dream. But I thought that was fairly a fairly big tell. But, um, you know, I mean, it's not a my retailer... My retailer asked me, like, how big is this thing going to be? My diamond rep just told me I'm not ordering enough. And I said, look, I can't tell you what's going to happen in it, but it's going to be fucking huge. You know, it's going to be the, you know, if it, if it actually hits and we get the kind of publicity that we might, you know, you're not going to be able to have enough of them. So, you know, at least order as many as you ordered on Civil War One. He ordered 100 more than he ordered a Civil War One, and he was still sold out by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow, that's awesome. So, like, nobody could have known that we were going to get... I think by the end of the day on Wednesday, we've been picked up by over 700 different news sources. So it was just, it was a really slow news day. My I mean, dad if asked me about it. <laughs> yeah, if, if we hadn't had that much news, that guy would be sitting on like, you know, like 200 copies of Captain America. But, and the real problem isn't Marvel not, not telling people. The real problem is that the distribution system sucks for getting comics back to getting reorders to retailers. Sure. Like, re- retailers should have been able to get that book you know, all over the country by, like, the next Friday or Monday or something. But comics only arrive on Wednesdays, and if you don't get your order in by a certain time, you have to wait till the next Wednesday after that. And, you know, that just seems kind of a ludicrous way to try to distribute a really, really hot book. When people really want it and there's quantities sitting in a warehouse, you should be able to get them to retailers quicker, especially when there's people coming in off the street asking for it. I mean, smart retailers took people's phone numbers and told them they'd call them when they got the book back in and that it was sold out everywhere. But you hear, you hear from a lot of people who are like, yeah, I had people coming in all day and just leaving mad. And it's like, well, don't let them leave mad. You know, tell them, tell them the score. Give them some you know? criminal. Tell them to buy criminal, <laughs> yeah. Criminal, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, someone dies in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how bizarre. A lot of people what? die. <laughs> all the time. They're all collectible. All Americans. Yeah. <laughs> every every issue. Every issue is collectible. Yeah. Well, ha- how weird it was for me. I was, uh, you know, ca- came into work that morning, and I'm and I'm walking through my office, and and a guy I, I talk to every once in a while, and very rarely, if ever, reads a comic book. You know, he passes me in the hallway and says, "Hey, did you hear about Captain America?" And I will look at him, and he's like, "No," and he's like, "Yeah, they killed Captain America." And then he shoved you. <laughs> and I, and the comic I, fans hated that. <laughs> my wife, my wife spoiled it for me. She, I, I get to work. She goes to work a lot earlier than I do. And I get to work, I open up my computer, I, I get my email, and my first email I get is from her saying, Hey, did you hear her? Cap's dead. And I'm like, I've she doesn't even guys, read comics, she doesn't even have, she hates comics. I've got comic you guys books. all beat. When I poured out my cereal in the morning, the cereal spelled Captain America <laughs> dies on Captain America number 25. <laughs> well, God spoiled guy, it for me. There was a guy on some, on like the Bendis board or something who said that a subway bum in New York City had like seen an early, an early edition of the New York Post and was, like, singing the Captain America theme song and telling everybody on their way to work at, like, 7 a.m. that Captain America was dead. So, like, all these people at this one subway stop had it spoiled for them. Probably, like, five of them read comics, but this guy's like, they killed Captain America, and then starts singing the Captain America's Mighty Shield song. But the thing is, if I heard a bum on the CTA tell me that Captain America got shot, I wouldn't immediately be like, oh, yeah, he must be speaking the truth. Because you always tell the truth whenever you're on the train. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you've certainly made Cap relevant again. Unfortunately, you had to kill him to do it. But um, 
<laughs> I know that uh, I know you can't tell us really anything that's going to happen in the story, but but is there anything you can give us as far as what to expect or or any teasers as to uh, what? Lots we of fucked up shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's what our listeners like. Well, did you? This is for everybody who's actually read issue twenty-five already, because I don't want to spoil anything if people haven't read it. Okay. Sharon's got a big thing going on after issue twenty-five, as, as all you guys must know if you've read it by now. Sure, yes. Um, so she's she's in kind of a weird spot, and uh, yeah, there's a bunch of characters sort of who get set on a collision course, basically. And you know, those would be like Sharon and Bucky and Tony Stark, and uh, you know, obviously the Red Skull, who's sort of behind the scenes on all of this. And uh, there's some pretty messed up stuff coming up, but uh, I've got Bucky fighting one of the Mighty Avengers in uh, one of the upcoming issues. That's like this amazing action scene that Epting drew. You learn some, we learn some more about the Winter Soldier's history, like when he was in Russia, actually. And, uh, you know, we see Tony Stark really sort of, you know, feeling the guilt, basically, and, and what he, and, and getting sort of a, a note from beyond the grave that's gonna, that's gonna really mess things up for him. And we're gonna get, and we're gonna get an Invaders miniseries, right? Uh, maybe someday, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> Leads us right into uh, into the next book we wanted to talk about, which is Iron Fist, which you're working on with uh, with Matt Fraction, one of uh, oh yeah, one of our friends of our show. We've had him on a couple times. Yeah, I was times. just looking at the cover for issue eight, which is totally awesome. That book's just been phenomenal. I mean, you know, what's the process been like working with Matt? Well, it started out, you know, with us initially just kind of talking out like what the basic first storyline would be and how it would break down, like throughout each issue, and we talked about that for a few weeks like on and off on the phone like every couple of days and then you know we were getting to the point where it was time to write down like an outline for the first issue and Matt was going to do it and but uh, his his way of outlining is totally different than mine I said well look let me let me just write the outline and you know and I wrote I sent it off to him in a, like an hour later and he, he called up and he was like man it would have taken me like three days to write that and you know it was like a page and a half of writing maybe but um, but so I think that was sort of Matt. Like, I think one of the reasons that I really wanted to work with Matt is because I think Matt's a great writer, but who has a lot of, like, new ideas, and I wanted to sort of show him the structure of how to sort of work within the mainstream comics world so he could actually, you know, make a living as a writer and still be able to, to be his kind of writer. And um, so once Matt sort of saw how the outlining process worked, then, like, the next issue we both sort of worked on the outline together and now we talk it over on the phone and Matt types up like a basic scene by scene breakdown and I make a lot of notes on that and sometimes like cut a scene and write a different scene instead and send that back to him and then Matt writes the rough draft and then I go in and, and sort of polish it or cut scenes out and 
a lot of times, a lot of times what I'm doing is cutting things because Matt writes a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and so a lot of times I'm just cutting things or changing a character or you know cutting a scene earlier and and putting in a different scene. So it's it's really become like a really integrated process where it's sort of like like I'm almost like a like a, a head writer on a TV show or something, but the entire writing staff is just Matt. <laughs> <laughs> or Matt. We hammer out all the ideas together and. But basically, you know, from the beginning, before this book came out, I had this basic idea of what what the Iron Fist book should sort of feel like, and what it what what the basic things that should happen, it you know, are, and you know, and now Matt has been sort of you know spinning those ideas in a lot of different directions with me, and you know, just between talking, we'll come up with something that you know we knew we wanted to do what we're doing in the second storyline, but one day I was. I was just talking to a friend of mine who'd been in, like, kung fu tournaments and stuff, and I had this weird idea for how to take the story we were going to do in the second issue, or the second storyline, and, you know, twist it around this this other idea that I just had, and, you know, I called up Matt, and we talked about it, and, you know, so it's, it's a really organic process of, like, writing it together. I mean, Matt does end up doing, you know, the lion's share of the mechanical part of the writing, but but the actual plot structure and, and, you know, all the dialogue and everything sort of goes through my hands, you know, before it goes to the letterer. Now, one of the one of the big thrills for me with the series has been uh, seeing some John Severin and Russ Heath work. What was it like oh, yeah. to, to work with those guys? <laughs> well, that was one of those, like, well, for the, for the first issue of Iron Fist, I wrote, like, the whole, I wrote, like, half the actual issue, like, just, you know, we split up the scenes, and I wrote those scenes, and, and Matt wrote these scenes, and, you know, and then, as we were actually putting it to press, I rewrote a lot of the narration, and then sent that to Matt, and he went over it, and so we re-lettered, like, the, there's actually, I think, pages that were previewed with, with text that we ended up cutting, like, the night before the book went to press, and we ended up rewriting, like, the entire, like, Danny narrative for the book, but, um, with the second issue, I, you know, I was I was going to back off more because I have so much other stuff, and I was Matt was going to do you know mostly what he's doing now, and then I was going to just sort of polish and 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 edit. And um, but then when I found out we were actually getting John Severn, I'm like, well, I'm writing the John Severn scene. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll do it for free. I don't even care. I just want to write stuff that's drawn by that guy. But, uh, we were going to try and get him to be like like a regular contributor to the book but then DC snapped him up for the Batlash thing oh, so yeah. he, he can only work on one thing at a time and I was bummed but but then I just suggested to Warren Simons I'm like well get Russ Heath you know and he's like I'll call Russ Heath and that's what I most most editors would just tell you oh we're never going to get Russ Heath and that's it Warren Simons will call everybody and ask them <laughs> if they want to do it and we could get him to call Steve Dinko if we wanted like he'd call at least he'd get hung up on but he'd make the call and Russ Heath was up for it, and so I told Matt, I'm like, okay, you can have Russ Heath. I have John Severn. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, how about how about John Byrne? Maybe give him a call. You know, I would love to have John Byrne. We suggested him for the the issue that's at press right now. Actually, um, we ended up getting Sal Basima instead, who's oh, just as awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, what a huge Sal step Basima down. Yeah. John <laughs> Byrne, like the the prime Sal Basima, like his 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 Captain America run with Steve Englehart and like the, the one when he came back later like uh-huh. when, they, when they did the whole hate monger story after Kirby after mm-hmm. Kirby's run yeah 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 um, that's that's obviously my preferred John Byrne but John Byrne drawing Iron Fist would be awesome 
would be cool. Well, he'd well, never do it. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But I'm sure because I'm sure we've ruined Iron Fist somehow. <laughs> well, one of the but things I, I, I gotta say, he he had the lamest resurrection of all time. Like Iron Fist, the Iron Fist that died was a clone, according to John Byrne. But I'm so glad he did that because now I get to write Iron Fist. So I don't really care if it was a lame resurrection. <laughs> yeah, like, get it. Uh, one of the things I really like about um. Uh, Iron Fist that I also enjoy about Daredevil and I enjoy about Criminal is that I think you're a writer who has a very definite feel to what you write. Like, if I pick up... I'll pick up anything that you've written. I don't give a shit about Iron Fist. Like, beforehand, I had never... would not have picked up an Iron Fist no matter what. And I picked it up and I was like, oh, well, it definitely feels like a meeting between Brubaker and, you know, Matt Fraction. And I get the same feeling from Criminal... And I just wanted to ask if that was, if when you're writing, do you feel that when you put something to a page, like this is what I do, or is it just sort of just happen, or do you I just get it from I think feedback? It just happens. I mean, most of the stuff I write, I just kind of write it from the characters. I think a lot of people are saying my X-Men comics feel different than like my Daredevil or my Cap, or, or you know, certainly even more than Criminal, because Criminal's just real people. But a lot of people are, are, are saying that my voice in, the, in X-Men isn't the same as it is in the other ones, but I can't really see it because it's just, it's just a different kind of story. And it's like, with, with every book that I do, I just try to do the best, you know, Captain America or the best X-Men comics that I can do right at that moment. And, and you know, the X-Men is just like complete, especially like a space opera X-Men, it's just such a completely different tone than Captain America or Daredevil and, you know... It's funny, though, because my favorite X-Men comic is Astonishing X-Men, and if you look at people on, the same people online who are complaining about my X-Men, they hate Astonishing, too. So I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm not, I can't be doing that bad. <laughs> it all, you know, not all bad criticism's bad. You, you want some people not to like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing, actually, if, if, uh, it's weird because the day that the Cap thing came out, I looked at, like, a couple message boards, and there were, like, a bunch of different threads of like is Brubaker totally overrated or like I, I'd just been rated that day finally <laughs> and, now, and now I was overrated instantly and Did I was like the shark? I kind of like that and like with Criminal like most of the buzz around Criminal has been really good but every now and then you'll read a review where somebody's basically saying they liked it but at the same time is saying but it's not all that you know and oh. it's like it's like this backhanded compliment of this is a perfectly good crime comic that I'm completely enjoying reading but I don't know, man. It's not the war- it's not like you know reinventing well, the wheel, and it's like you just said it was good and you're enjoying it. But because you know, if it was from someone you'd never heard of before, but but uh, it's just kind of weird to see stuff like that. And I just think you know, it's like Woody Allen. I used to, when after Annie Hall, Woody Allen was only compared to previous Woody Allen movies. He was never compared to other to other movies. You know, like he could make the best movie, but if it wasn't as good as Manhattan, it, it sucked. <laughs> well, uh, you're talking about reviews. There was a review on uh, Comic Book Resources by Augie DeBleek where it was pretty much Criminal's the one book he cannot find anything wrong with. Which yeah, I, I saw like, that. <laughs> yeah. Sean, Sean emailed me the link to that the other day, and I was like, I was reading the interview before I even realized it was Augie, and I'm like, wow, this guy really digs my stuff. And then I looked up, and I'm like, oh, Augie. I didn't even know he was reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> the Augie stamp of approval. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, and he's a Republican. See, liberals, Republicans, they all come together with Criminal. Well, let's talk about Criminal. It, uh, it just wrapped up uh, with the fifth issue, and, uh, and the trade's going to be coming out soon, I assume. 
Yeah, it's not wrapped up though. The sixth issue, sixth issue comes out uh, in May, like a couple weeks after. Right. I, yeah, I should say that this arc, the first arc, wrap. Yeah. Um, and and it is a continuing book. Um, and and I'm sorry, did you say when the trade was coming out? For the, the first trade is out the first Wednesday of May. Okay. Okay. So, so whatever that is, I think it's the third or the fifth or something. Well, I just uh, this le- past week I went back and read the first five issues again. Uh, in preparation for talking with you a Did little you bit. Did you find any typos other than the one in issue four? Um, I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. I'm, oh, okay. I'm the worst speller. <laughs> so I need new eyes on this thing. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the guy to ask. I can't spell. Okay. Um, no, but the thing that struck me about it was going back and reading it again, where um, a lot of the stuff that you sort of dropped in it. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a good, you know, mystery story, but you you put so many hints in there that you just don't pick up on the first time around, or if you do, you're smarter than me, which isn't hard to to be. But um, is that something that you sort of plan out backwards? I mean, in other words, you know, do you sort yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, I always, you mean, yeah, I knew the mystery behind like Leo and why he was like that, and you know, I knew the whole story of his like family and his, you know. The lawlesses and their whole background, which is you know one of the one of the, the through lines between all the all the different stories, have this this history tied back to the murder of, of Teague Wallace, mm-hmm. which you know eventually will actually do the story of, of Leo and all of his friends when they were teenagers and, and about their parents. You know, assuming you know assuming the book lasts that long, but hopefully it will. We've got we've got pretty we've got pretty good numbers so far, and we got really strong foreign support. So. Hopefully we'll we'll stay around long enough to get to that one. But but yeah, I knew all of that. And also, I mean, one of the things I really wanted to do in Criminal was, I mean, it's just especially the first five issues. It's pretty much my first time ever doing a heist story. So I did it pretty straightforward. It's pretty much you know straightforward three act structure. You know, just trying to sort of get the feel of the world and the characters. And you know, I knew there'd be some twists here and there, but I but I was really trying. You know, most crime stories are not, you know, a twist on the genre. They're about characters, and they're about, you know, they're about just, just, you know, playing out the story and seeing, these, you know, making you care about these characters, and then doing, you know, doing, putting them in bad situations. Really, like everything that happens to Leo, you could pretty much see coming if you're if you're reading it closely. Like when you get to the end of the first issue and you see who the who the people he's working for are, is working for, you're like, oh, okay, this isn't going to be diamonds. You know, like if you're really paying attention, and I mean that was my idea was I wanted to do a book that it, it, it sort of rewarded close reading or rereading, and you know there's there's a lot of stuff in there that you know even even in the end there was a moment where in you know towards one of the last scenes in the fifth issue where I was going to explain a little bit more of why Leo had to like go kill all these people. And I'd written it, and then I just kept looking at it on the page, and I just kept erasing it and rewriting it. And finally, I just erased it. I thought, "Fuck it, you know, they'll have to, you know, they'll have to pick it up just, you know, by by what is there." And like, there's that moment where, where you know, Leo remembers Greta for a second, you know, and says, "I'm making the same mistake my father made." And it's like, "Well, what's the mistake that his father made?" Like, you, the reader, have to actually figure that out. And you know, that's just not done in comics anymore. And it seems like when I was a kid reading, like, European comics or alternative comics or, you know, even, you know, the precursor to Vertigo, you know, the sort of DC mature readers comics, that kind of stuff was done more. It was more demanding. 
Actually, Hank, how, <laughs> how old are you? Fifteen year old. We got a fifteen year old here in the shop. Do you, do you read Criminal? He lo- loves it every every time it comes out. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's smarter than all the other fifteen year olds. <laughs> he's it's pretty true. And he's he, he, yeah, he would agree with you. I, I have, I have two questions. I think it's ironic that someone who killed Captain America is looking for foreign support for his criminal book. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that exactly. More <laughs> <laughs> publishers uh, in Germany and France, they love the noir genre a lot more than they do in uh, in America. Even you know in in prose or film. So you know, just uh, just getting French and just getting European publishing. You know, like a thing like Criminal can end up you know making a good deal of money over there if if, if enough people actually hear about it. So. You know, like the goon is actually selling probably more in France and trade paperback than it is over here. Well, talk, talking about noir, and we had talked about uh, Andy Parks a little bit earlier. Andy did a, a great write up in what was that? Was that issue three? three I believe. I suppose, and and you kind of yeah, yeah, and you kind of stuck with this noir theme in, in the back of the books. After that, talk about you know your noir influences and it's helped my Netflix queue. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, Ed, if you go to if you go to our forum, we had the Ask Ed questions thread oh, and, really? it, and, it, and it devolved or evolved into this huge thread about noir movies <laughs> yeah you've you've sparked oh, you've sparked a lot of interest i think with with those articles in the back of the book and and yeah, there's a store down in la that wants to have me down for a signing after the trade comes out and they want to like play a bunch of clips from those movies like in the background while we're doing the signing nice. like like it's the flavor of of the book and i'm like oh that's really cool except you know like all most of the movies that were mentioned at the back of issue five, I think at least half of them you can't even get. And you can you get know, Charlie Barrett on, on DVD. I saw Charlie yeah. Barrett. It was VHS, not a good DVD. But I gave away my VHS because I was I got I mean to tape the Westminster Dog Show for my dad's girlfriend. <laughs> only time I ever used the VA, the VCR. So let's forget this. I'm not gonna. We were moving like the third time in one year before we bought our house and. I'm like, man, I'm tired of carting this VCR around. I use it twice a year to figure out how to tape something off of TiVo. It's <laughs> <laughs> pay me to watch a VHS tape at this point. <laughs> so, for for people that want to get into into noir movies, what uh, what are your top three that people should uh, top in- three? Yeah, introduce themselves to to noir. Um. Well. I mean, it depends on what era of the genre you're talking about. I mean, the classic era from, like, the mid-40s through the late 50s, you know, you've got to watch, you've, you've got to watch the, the, you know, in my mind, the the only really, really great Stanley Kubrick movie is, is the, uh, the Killing. And um, that's one of the best noirs ever. And also, you know, if you watch that, you'll totally understand... You know the first two Christopher Nolan movies, and and the first two like Tarantino movies, like where he got his his whole idea of of screwing around with the structure from, where both of those guys sort of you know got the original idea, like the killing, the way the the way the story is structured and told is, is just amazing with the back and forth editing, and you know it's it's got the the best like tragic ending. Uh, well, a lot of them have really good tragic endings, actually, now that I say that. Out of the Past has a really great tragic ending. I'd say The Killing, Out of the Past, and... Uh, great Muppet Caper. 
the great muff no. Um, well, of the original ones, I don't know. I've always had a thing for uh, for Crossfire because my uncle wrote it. I always thought that was a kind of a classic noir just because of the way it's shot. But um, EOA probably is one of the mo- one of the most classic noirs because the guy is dying and uh, has to solve his own murder. And you know, the end of the movie is the beginning of the movie is him walking in saying, you know, I, I would like to report a murder, mine. And at the end of the movie, after he's finished telling you how he solved the whole crime and got revenge on everybody, he just dies. <laughs> and it's like, it's great, actually. He flops down on the table and then slams down to the floor, like, completely dramatically. <laughs> but, uh, so DOA, Out of the Past, and The Killing, probably. But there's so many good noir films. But I also like the, my, I mean, like we talked about in the, in the end of Criminal 5, my favorite era of film right now is from the late 60s through, like, the mid to late 70s, because... They were just making so many interesting films then that really the, the studios, because of Easy Rider, just had no idea what would sell. They would spend you know tons of money on movies that would completely flop, and then something like Easy Rider, which is made for practically no money, is like the biggest film of the year. So they just started giving these young you know directors and writers sort of limited budgets to just kind of do whatever the hell you want to do and just threw stuff at the wall to see what would stick. And most of it didn't make much money, but they made a lot of really cool movies, and that's where the, the exploitation era sort of came out of that. And, you know, a lot of that like, gritty street-level crime stuff, because it was the cheapest things to film. They could film it, like, on the studio lot or in the cities, actually. And, you know, you see a lot of the influences of modern filmmakers come out of that era. And, you know, I mean, my, my favorite movie probably, you know, or at least in my top, like, five is, is Point Blank, which was um, Don Borman's first, you know, non-documentary film. And it's a completely weird, completely non-commercial art crime film with Lee Marvin, you know, like, as either, either a guy who's come back for revenge on almost getting killed or a ghost coming back to claim his own vengeance and it's up to the viewer to decide which is which and you know even though it's adapted from a book it's completely not like the book at all well you know talking about that uh people are listening or interested in it there's a really good book about that called raging bulls easy riders which yeah also you know, i've never you. actually read that uh they have a movie of it <laughs> too always telling me how great it is yeah and if you want to help your netflix queue uh go to the library and look up that book and then there's a list in the back you don't even need to read the book you can just write oh, down. Oh, really? Like, yeah, they have like a list of uh, filmography in the back that's just amazing. Isn't there a documentary about that now that has like clips from all those movies? Yeah, it's like stuff? a. There's a five-hour version and then a two-hour version. The five-hour oh, wow. version is like awesome, but at that point you almost would be better off watching the movies. movies. <laughs> yeah, there's another movie that a lot of people don't talk about. That's um, uh, Thunderbird and Lightfoot. It's like an early Eastwood. Well, not early Eastwood. It's, it's an early uh, Jeff Bridges movie. It's, it's Michael Cimino who who uh, went on to make Heaven's Gate, and, and you yeah. know, which is, I guess, the largest money loser of all time. But this is like Eastwood is a guy who gets out of prison after a long stretch, and he's the only one in a gang of thieves who knew where the money was hidden. And he sort of hooks up with this young street hustler guy who's Jeff Bridges, and they go on this cross-country trek to sort of track down this money, and he hid it in the wall of the schoolhouse, and the schoolhouse was either torn down or moved or something like that, so they're screwed, and they end up just starting robbing places, and somewhere about halfway through the movie, Jeff Bridges gets like a head injury, and just proceeds to sort of, you know, slowly, like, get brain damage throughout the movie, and 
until the point where, you know, he's got a head injury and he's clearly dying because of it. It's just totally tragic and great. Well, what about um, what about books? What about uh, crime, you know, noir books? Uh, would you recommend um, to people? I'm a big fan of, of, you know, a lot of the writers of that era, Jim Thompson and Charles Williford and... Um, I'm going to drop blank on some names here. Uh, you could just make them up, well, and most people wouldn't know. So Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, the, anything that was out on Black Lizard in, like, the late 80s or early 90s was all stuff that I really loved and, you know, just, just devoured. And then, you know, when I was older, I got into reading, like, the mystery fiction of that era. Like, I, I used to just only read the crime fiction. I only wanted to read about the criminals. I didn't want to read about the people who, like, privatize and cops. Fuck them. <laughs> But as I got older, I got more interested in, in like, the structure of the mysteries and things like that. And, you know, I mean, I, I, everything I write, I think I owe, like, a huge amount of, of debt to Ross McDonald because he's my, you know, my all-time favorite writer, probably. Are we going to see more of the, uh, the, the articles in the back uh, in future issues? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got, uh, actually, you know, people are starting to come out and, and offer to do them now instead of having me, have me track them down. Um, Josh Olson, who wrote the movie History of Violence and, you know, got nominated for an Academy Award, is, is a big comic fan and, and, and uh, has been, you know, a sleeper and criminal fan. And uh, he's going to write something in, I think, issue six or seven. He's got, he's going to do something about uh, one of his favorite movies from the 70s, which was briefly mentioned in issue five, The Silent Partner. Which uh, is a totally awesome movie. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for his article, but it's 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 Elliot Gould and like a noir, which is just amazing. But um, and Stephen Grant, I think, is going to write something in one of the upcoming issues too. And I've got more and more people that I'm just sort of hitting up for these things. But yeah, I, eventually, I want to do an article about um, about the EC crime suspense stories too. But I've I've got to reread all of those, and you know, I just really want to write about. Are you picking up the uh, the archives as they come out? Some of them, the ones I want. Yeah. I don't want I don't want every single. E- I have some of those already, and I don't. You know, I don't need to buy Tales from the Crypt again in color. You know, like it looks really great in black and white. That people, the artists of that era, were, were drew. You know, for themselves, and you know, they had no idea how good the color would look. So all the pages look awesome in black and white. Sure. But uh, you know, when the crime suspense stories volumes start coming out, I'll buy those again. I've been buying the shock and the crime ones. I'll probably get, if they actually get to the postcode stuff, I've never actually bought any of the postcode stuff, so I'll probably get that stuff too. Listen to AroundComics.com podcast new every Monday. For once, you won't be lying to your parents when you tell them you're not looking at porn. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Sleeper um, a few minutes ago. With um, with Criminal doing well and the publicity from Captain America and, and your other titles, are you starting to see people going back and finding Sleeper if maybe they oh, missed yeah. it on the first pass? Yeah, well, Sleeper is, is something that, you know, it sells incrementally. You know, every year we, we still get royalty statements on them, and they're still moving. It's also one of those things that every single person in Hollywood that I've ever met is a huge Sleeper fan and has tried to get the rights to do Sleeper. And, you know, for some reason, nothing keeps happening with it. I heard last year Kiefer Sutherland and Tom Fontana were both working on it at the same time. And, and uh, you know, two people who I could not have picked better people to, to be involved with it. But then 24 got renewed for another three years and Kiefer Sutherland dropped out and, you know, Tom Fontana sold a, a TV show to NBC instead. 
last I heard, it was, you know, being, like, there's a script in development from some writer who I never heard of. But, uh, but yeah, everybody in Hollywood, if you, if you, uh, if you ask people about comics, you know, in Hollywood, apparently Sleeper sold, you know, maybe half of its print run just in L.A. or something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's insane. Like, literally, when I go there, everybody wants to talk about it. I'm like, that book sold, like, 11,000 copies a month. Like, how does every single person in Hollywood know of Sleeper? <laughs> well, they, apparently they bought a lot of them, and, you know, I was one yeah. of them that bought it. I loved Rick it. Novak, the, the head guy at D.C. in charge of selling their properties, says he gets asked about that more than anything outside the, like, the big superhero stuff. Wow. Like, of all the sort of, you know, indie properties that they've got, like Vertigo and Wildstorm, like, he gets asked about Sleeper more than anything. And I'm like, sell it! <laughs> Do something! We can get that absolute sleeper out there if they actually make a TV show out of it or something. Uh, we have a, a, a forum question that I think is very interesting. This is from okay. uh, Gawain. He says, as a fellow connoisseur of pork pies and fedoras, was it movies, nostalgia, random whim, or a complete denial of retreating hairline that led you down the forgotten path of the hat? Um... Well, it's probably a combination of, of uh, always liking hats and finally getting old enough that I didn't feel like an idiot wearing one. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and having, like, a, a thinning hair hairline on top, you know. But I conveniently look good with either a shaved head or a hat, so I, I can go either way. Yeah, you're a double threat. You're a triple <laughs> but, threat. You know, I always liked, I always liked the, uh, the pork pie fedora look and uh, just always felt like a dork wearing hats until I was almost 40. We actually, we've, got a, we've got a ton of forum <laughs> questions. I asked the I, weirdest yeah, one. Yeah, that, that was, that was, that was actually right. the best. <laughs> we, ha we have a ton of them. I don't think that we're going to have time to get to all of them. And we have, we have covered a lot of it uh, kind of through the all course right, of this. let's do rapid fire questions. <laughs> right, you, okay, you want some rapid? Okay, rapid fire. Yeah. Um, from Black Wilco. That's uh, not a question, it's a statement. Oh. Uh, Black Wilco? <laughs> that's his name. He just said, I love your Captain America and Daredevil books. I just want to say thank you for finally making sense out of Bucky's role with Captain America in World War II. I really had a hard time believing that they would let a 15-year-old boy run around with Captain America in the battlefield. But You're welcome. <laughs> quick. <laughs> okay, next, Tom. I love Criminal and believe it's one of the finest comics produced today. What is the frustrating thing about what is the most frustrating thing about the comics industry today for you as an individual, professional? Uh, <laughs> every time I'm sitting at the at the line at Wizard World, and every single person who comes up with with Captain America, I ask them if they're buy, if they're buying Criminal, and they've never heard of it. Okay. Boom. The <laughs> There's no amount of advertising you can do that will make people know about your comic. Apparently, that is is true. All right, this is from Kawawaki. It says, "I'm interested in knowing how he managed to convince Marvel into giving Iron Fist his own series again. Did the idea start with Daredevil or before?" Uh, I claimed dibs on Iron Fist. Like at my first meeting at Marvel, said that I was after I, you know, at some point I was going to do Iron Fist, whether they liked it or not. And Joe Casada said, "Okay, okay, you've got Iron Fist," and and I wasn't planning to do it this soon. One of the reasons that I ended up needing a co-writer was because, uh, you know, when we revealed that Iron Fist was the one who was masquerading as Daredevil, they felt interest in Iron Fist was probably not going to be higher anytime in the near future. Not knowing that Bendis was going to have him join the New Avengers at the time, and they said, "You know, we should we should you know push push out an Iron Fist miniseries," and then. It was planned as a six-issue mini, and when people started seeing pages for the first issue and seeing the response online when it was revealed, you know, when we had the, the issue with Daredevil where, you know, he, he burned.
level, like, they just, you know, they thought the response was so huge that they needed to, you know, make it an ongoing, and it's interesting because the ongoing series was not released tying into Civil War or anything else, really, and, you know, sales came out, and they were, you know, they were better than everyone expected they would be, but people still were acting like, oh, this book is tanking, like, I think we sold, like, you know, high 30s with our first issue or something like that, and... But, you know, then the first issue sold out, and the second issue sold out, and, you know, they did two reprints of the first issue, and, you know, we're well over 50,000 now, and our orders, you know, for the last two issues have gone up subsequently, you know, each issue. So, like, Iron Fist, while being not tied into anything, is, you know, is actually running up the charts instead of crawling down them, so it's pretty strange. All right, next Quick answers. Love the conclusion of the first criminal arc and can't wait to get into the next one. My question, what is your favorite character to write in any universe, including your own stuff? My favorite character to write? Uh, Jughead. All right. Jughead. <laughs> Jughead is That's a right. You want, you want to you write uh, Archie comics, don't you? Someday, when I retire. <laughs> I can't wait for one My idea of retirement is getting up and writing RT comics. Uh, Talkback uh, asks, uh, do you feel oh, any added stupid. pressure since Cap 25? Is it Ballsack? <laughs> no, it's not Ballsack. <laughs> Ballsack's <laughs> ass. Uh, Talkback. Uh, Talkback. Oh, yeah. okay. And he's, uh, All right, I'll take this question. He asks uh, if, uh, if you feel any added pressure since Cap number 25, since all eyes are now on you to see where the story goes. A little bit, maybe. Stephen Epping and I talked about that. Conveniently, I always, you know, I, I've already written the next, like, several issues, and, you know, and, you know, stupidly, I didn't take the pushback from November to March and get, like, even further ahead. I decided to, you know, fill it with, like, a Captain America annual that's going to be drawn by Gene Cole and then the Winter Soldier special, and instead of actually, like, taking advantage of that lag to get further ahead on Cap, so... Yeah, when I was working on the issue that I'm that I'm just finishing up now, I was a little bit like, yeesh, like tons of people are looking at this now, but you know, not enough that I would change to do. So I was, you know, I'm pretty confident in the story we're telling. Looking at how much attention you got for for Cap 25 and how everybody's looking at it now and waiting to see what happens, and and everyone has their own prediction and idea of what they think is going to happen. Um. Does it change how you are looking at sort of your legacy in comics any longer? Uh, not really. I mean, I'd like to be remembered, you know, a couple of years from now or five years from now or whenever, or ten years from now when people are looking back at the Death of Cap story. I'd like people not to think of it as just a lame stunt that just built money out of them. I'd like them to, you know, that's, that's what I'm kind of looking at now is like, okay, I've, I've, I've done this story where, like, a key iconic Marvel character gets killed, like, whatever comes next, it's got to fucking kick ass, you know? Well, yeah, because that's... I mean, when you think back on Captain America, you think back on, I mean, you you kind of remember the John Byrne era because they looked cool and they were cool stories, but there's only, like, six or seven issues or eight or something like that. But you remember the Englehart era. You remember the Cap from the 50s, and you remember Cap resigning and becoming Nomad. And you remember the Grunewald era when... Cap quit and Super Patriot became the new Captain America and Cap became the Captain and that was like 24 issues or 18 issues or something. You remember these these things that Cap did that didn't suck. Like actually, when I think back on the whole Grinwald era, the best stuff was that stuff, that storyline that goes up to 350. Like everything that came after that, there's some cool stuff. 
just gets introduced, you know, but everything that comes after that just, then to me, just isn't as good as that because that was like, he did that story so well and, you know, it was so gripping and, and, and just the, the, I mean, I'm, I, I'm overplaying it a little bit because I'm a Cap fan, but, you know, it was cool when, when, when John Walker went home and his parents had been killed and he went way over the line and, Spoilers. you know, you remember these moments actually. Well, you've, you've been, and you've talked about it before, you've been a Cap fan for a long, long time. This is not just a character you willy-nilly decided to, to write. No, yeah, no. Cap was, Cap was, Cap, Spider-Man, and Iron Fist, and, uh, you know, and Daredevil later, once I got into high school, were, were, my, were my characters that I really liked, and, you know, and maybe the Punisher right here and there, like, you know, because of his appearances in Spider-Man or Daredevil, was someone who I always wanted to write. I had much more of a, you know, desire to work on stuff like that. Even as a kid, I would draw pictures of those kind of characters. But, but yeah, I mean, I didn't read Cap, though. Like, I never read the Grunwald stuff when it was coming out. I stopped reading Cap around the time Mike Zeck quit, probably. Just, you know, it just seemed like it was going off the rails to me or something, or I just, I just was losing interest in it, maybe, because I was, you know, getting up to, like, you know, 15 years old or 16 years old or something, and, you know, well, on that note, I want to thank you very much for uh, for spending so much of your Friday evening with us. We know that you oh, sure, been, no problem, man. it's been crazy, and, and and we love we love Criminal and the other stuff that you're working on, and we'll continue to uh, to talk it up as as long as it stays as good as it is. And it as has, soon as it right. turns bad, we'll talk shit about it. Yes, we'll drop <laughs> yeah, we'll cool. drop it like a hot yeah. plate. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, wait till we're gonna release. I think next week or like by sometime by the end of next week, we should be releasing some color pages from issue six online so uh it's just the, the sort of intro to the to the next main character and and it's pretty badass he's killing somebody uh, like uh, immediately I, I decided to just jump right into it with the second storyline and give the people what they want nice is it is it a whole new cast of characters to uh to learn about not all of them you're gonna actually meet the guy who draws the frank kafka comic strip though but uh gnarly's in there and you know there'll be some we see leo again in issue seven actually a lot of people think Leo died at the end, which I kind of like because I, I we intentionally left it so that it could go either way. Like if you never read another comic with, you know, if you never read another issue of Criminal or you only picked up that one trade paper, you could think that he was dead if you wanted to. But if you're reading it closely, he talks about how he always had bad luck. And the last scene, he's, he's bleeding out as, and he hears police sirens and ambulances approaching and he's hoping that he dies before they get there. And then you, the last panel, they're all leaping out of their cars, and he's just sitting there, and it says, just my luck. So, you know, so clearly he's he's probably going to survive it. Could, could go either way. Never know with you. I mean, go either way. You never know. You're, the book is canceled. That's the end. You're the, <laughs> you're the most dangerous man in comics, man. I, yeah. You never know. I've killed, I've killed patriotic icons before. <laughs> over less than this. <laughs> Well, Ed, thanks a lot. Uh, uh, continued success. You're doing amazing work, and, and we uh, we love it. Yeah. So uh, well, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, and a special thank you to Ed Brubaker. I I can't even begin to imagine the amount of media crush that he went through. So it was it was really um, yeah, it was pretty, great of him to, pretty nice to of him to spend some time. Absolutely. Eating a turkey I keep, burger and I, having fries. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking uh, every time I'm, I. I think about Ed, which is often. <laughs> I uh, no, I, I the, the the quote from I can't remember it verbatim, but the line from Lethal Weapon, where 
uh, Danny Glover's character turns to uh, Mel Gibson and says, have you ever met anyone you didn't kill? And that sort of sums up. It's getting to be what Ed's all about. He's just the killer. He kills everything. Everybody he writes dies. Yeah, but he writes it well when he does kill him. So we we do love the Ed Brubaker. The uh, restraining order, I'm sure, is coming. So. Well, not for me. I mean, I like. Well, I've that. got Rucka. He's got he's got Brubaker. I'm Jeff Johns. I keep everyone at the arm's length. Please. We need to get an obsession for you going. Jeff Johns. <laughs> it is. Hello. It is. <laughs> he's just very. Quiet. He's yeah. more obsessed with Jeff Johns than you are with Rucka, which is. We just never. never you just never had the Jeff chance. Johns. Yeah. <laughs> we just haven't had the chance to talk to him. So Jeff, when that happens. I've gone through your garbage. I'm no, not I even showing up. But, uh, uh, all right, folks. I uh, want to ask you to help us spread the around comics love. You can find <laughs> we all... We shouldn't put that right after we... <laughs> favorite artists and writers. Uh, put some more... Spread that. Spread it. that on a cracker. There's... Uh, there's... Deta- <laughs> there's oh, good Lord. Uh, there's details about all of that ooh, on uh, the website. You can uh, you can take our Whistler LCS challenge. You can become uh, our... I, I, re- I, re- I forgot to tell you. Uh-huh. I took that all off the website. So no. Don't bother. What? Don't yeah, it's cool. I mean, I'm just kidding. You can be our virtual friend at comicspace.com. I think I finally have our website running, so. Yes, and at least for I ran for at least 8 hours today. Oh, and by the time this airs, there's going to be some changes to the site, so I hope oh, everyone no. noticed. What happened? Uh, we moved while you were out <laughs> for dinner to Australia. My, my lock, the locks got changed. Tom's no, no longer allowed. <laughs> what do you mean my password no, doesn't um, work? It, it we we tentatively are are Joining forces with uh, comic book resources to, uh, I got sick of putting news on the website because <laughs> it was a pain in the ass. It, and if we ever beat anyone to a news story, it was only by about like fifteen or twenty. Oh, minutes. I never. I don't <laughs> think I ever beat anybody. Well, no, that's true. There's some things that I yeah. dug up, but very rarely. Yeah. It was all just stuff that was already out there. So I figured, I oh, like. I really like their site, and they they did. A, and so we contacted them, and and they've agreed to let us use their news in our news segments and on our site. So. We'll still have stuff on there that mm-hmm. you know I post and, and, and they stuff. can but use our opinions. The, yeah, for what that's yeah, worth. Whatever it doesn't mean. But uh, so and yeah, we, we love that. comic book resources. So yeah, it's, it's a great uh, site. So. Yeah, and it should be should be a good deal. Uh, you can uh, also do my personal favorite that is leave us an iTunes music review. Um, <laughs> in, unless you're just some not three bad no, ones. No, it's the same from the guys. same guy. Yeah. No, it's same guy. Yeah, he loves, he loves iFanboy, and I love iFanboy too, mm-hmm. which is fine. But he because also loves one, coffee and he, Whole Foods. Wine. Whole Foods. And we are more of a Trader Joe's podcast. That's so I don't think we're ever going to see that. I thought we were more of an Aldi podcast. No, Aldi. <laughs> no, you have to pay for a card at Aldi. And I refuse <laughs> to do that. But it's only a quarter and you rent it. Nah, it's not. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's now me. Check out all the great things that Around Comics has to offer. It's your source for the best in comic book news, reviews, and opinions. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Find more great podcasts at comicspodcasts.com. Just so everyone is aware, we post the next week's topic on Tuesdays at our forum at Around Comics. Look for some uh, upcoming guests. I've uh, been uh, talking with Richard Starkin, So I think Rick mm-hmm. Rick Veach will be mm-hmm. coming soon. Um, yeah, maybe we, uh, one of the Simmons clan. <laughs> we're not sure. Maybe. Trying. <laughs> maybe, yeah, we're <laughs> We don't know. <laughs> Gene Simmons' neighbor's uh, <laughs> maid, I think we're getting. Why don't you guys go fuck yourself? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but r- there is a calendar at the homepage, so uh, check around comics.com. What, what? Ed swore a couple Ed, of times. Ed, Ed oh, dropped okay. a We oh. can always count on I don't on think Ed. we really did, though. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Let's All right. Uh, uh, special thanks to uh, today's sponsor, Borders Books. 
remember to get that 20% off coupon on our website. Just click on the banner, and, it, and it's good through the end of uh, April, mm-hmm. I think, or April 7th. Something yeah. that doesn't end at the end of April is your feeling of being proud of helping the Hero Initiative. Hero creates a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who may need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give back something to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information, visit HeroInitiative.org or call 310-909-7809 and talk to your heart's content. Yes. Do something good. Yeah. It's a great charity. Yeah. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. (laughs) Tom, Sal, as always. You're going to give till it hurts. See? (laughs) Want to thank our special guest, Mr. Ed Brubaker. Always a pleasure talking with Ed. Uh, As always, want to thank uh, Mark for hosting us here at Dark Tower Comics as Sal rolls his eyes and shakes his head no. (laughs) Uh, Shakes a fist. (laughs) Everyone. Have a fantastic rest of your week. We'll be back on, uh, actually, on Monday with news and reviews. Jesus Christ. Let's do so many. I'm so tired. It shows up on your iTunes automatically, so you will know when Everyone have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next week. (laughs) In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. Man, you recorded. That was pathetic. eh? (laughs) That was the worst one. Oh. like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the contact us section of our website. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and do not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next time when the panel will change, but our mission will stay the same. Bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. Around Comics is a Pipe Dream production. Copyright 2007. All rights reserved. Okay.